0: Welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, the podcast that features conversations with writers of all types. Today's episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books has been sponsored by Babo Botanicals. B-A-B-O Botanicals. Babo Botanicals offers your family non-toxic and pure hair, skin, and sun solutions created with effective natural or organic ingredients. You can buy their products on Amazon or check them out at babobotanicals.com. I'm here today with Andrea Peterson. Andrea is a contributing writer at The Wall Street Journal and the author of the book On Edge, A Journey Through Anxiety. She lives in Brooklyn with her husband and her nine-year-old daughter. So welcome to Andrea. Thanks for having me. Um, so you share in your book that you've spent your life since sophomore year in college um, coping with a serious, uh, serious anxiety disorder involving panic attacks and some other debilitating symptoms, which I really want to talk about. But I also really want to talk about your recent Wall Street Journal article, The Overprotected American Child, uh, which outlined how to prevent anxiety from forming in children, uh, assuming genetics don't doom them from the outside, from the outset with their parents. But so let's start with the article if that's okay. Sure. Um, you began by sharing your experience when you left your daughter at home for a few minutes for the first time and how you both felt, quote, a bit rattled by the whole thing afterwards. Can you tell me more about that situation and how your feelings afterwards made you think about parenting in order to prevent anxiety?
1: Well, you know, because I've done so much research on anxiety and particularly how anxiety develops in kids, you know, I've done a lot of, looked into sort of how much parenting can, can or cannot contribute to anxiety. And the good news is that, you know, most researchers don't believe that parenting necessarily makes kids anxious, but if you, you.
0: <laughs> okay, you can go. Home but, <laughs> but if you but
1: if you have but if you have an anxious kid or a kid is who's kind of predisposed to anxiety, what you do does really matter. Um, and one of the, and the actually the parenting and this is actually true for all kids. So the the one sort of parenting dimension that seems to, to actually you know carry the most weight and and maybe do the most harm when it comes to actually you know. Making kids anxious is not giving them enough autonomy, and you know I've also kind of read so much. We've I think we've all read sort of a lot of hand wringing stories and and essays about you know lamenting the fact that kids today don't have nearly as much independence, physical independence and autonomy as you know I'm a Gen Xer, you know as as I did, you know and certainly generations before us did. You know I I don't know about you, but I remember long, especially summer days, kind of playing tag, riding my bike with like a gang of other kids, no parents in sight. And that is certainly not the way my daughter is growing up. And, you know, I've been thinking for months, you know, I really need to start um, giving her a little bit more independence and autonomy, because I know that that is one of the things that I can do to sort of not only just you know, make sure you know, try to prevent anxiety. But also, you know, you don't want to, I've talked to psychologists who say, you know, they've got kids that are off at college, whose parents still call them every morning to wake them up, because they've never learned to wake up on their own. You know, kids who don't know how to do their laundry, who, you know, we we just as parents, because I think we're so focused on, the homework and the extracurricular activities, and, you know, they're so sort of scheduled and busy that I think we, we forget to teach them a lot of the sort of basic life skills that they're going to need when they're on their own. So this is something that I've been thinking about for a while. And, of course, you know, I didn't actually do it until I sort of had to. Right. What happened is my daughter was really sick and my husband was out of town and I needed to go actually get her Pedialyte because she just couldn't keep anything down. And so I decided, you know, I kind of calculated the time. The drugstore was about a five-minute walk away and I'm like, okay, I'll take me about 10 minutes so I can kind of, I can probably do the whole thing in 20 minutes. And I I basically just, I, I showed her where the landline was, which is I don't even think she knew where it was because we don't ever use it, you know, to, so she could call me, you know, quizzed her, made, made sure that she, I, she knew my cell phone number, but I, you know, kind of quizzed her on it to make sure that it was top of mind, told her not to open the door for anyone, and then I left. And and you put her in front of the TV or you did not? No, I didn't. I, I you know, she, I was like, she yep. loves, she's a big reader, so okay. she's super into Harry Potter now, so I think, you know, she, she yep. was enwrapped in one of those books. But it's funny, I, I got in line at the store and um, my phone rang and it was FaceTime and she said, mama, the landline didn't work. So I guess I didn't, I I, I don't know if something was wrong with it, that it didn't work, but she was intrepid enough to figure out how to call me on my iPad and FaceTime me that way. So, so we did face, she was a little nervous. And so she FaceTimed me and we chatted for a bit and, you know, so I got home and we we both emerged unscathed from the from the whole ordeal. Oh, Until I told my husband actually that night what I had done, and he was not so thrilled about it. He was like, "She could have choked on something or hurt her, you know, bumped her head." And, and to be fair to him, those things have actually happened, of course, when we were actually home with her. So um, you know, sometimes even if you want to encourage you know independence and autonomy in your kids, it can be hard to. If your spouse isn't on board with it, that can be tough, or especially if your neighborhood isn't. I mean, I've talked to several parents who wanted to have their kids walk to school at nine or eight or nine and, you know, came – really came under fire from other parents who thought that was just a nutty idea. Hmm.
0: I mean, everybody does it a little differently. Right. Know?
1: I mean, I don't know. <laughs>
0: um, you mentioned also in your article that overzealous parenting can do real harm, which is sort of you know what you're talking about now with sort of anti-autonomy, um, and that doctors cite this as a contributing factor in the increase of the prevalence of anxiety disorders among kids. So can the parenting cause it, or is it just what you were saying more on the fringes? It can lead to a sort of a flare-up of it.
1: I mean, I think I don't think anyone's totally parsed it out. I think um, what what I've heard from everyone from college counseling center directors who are seeing you know, huge explosions. I mean, the, the statistics are actually, especially among young adults, college students are alarming. You know, the latest research shows that about 22 percent of college students in 2017 said that they had been treated for or diagnosed with anxiety problems wow. within the last year. And that's up from 10% in 2008. So there's clearly something going on. I mean, definitely it's being fueled by partly by the fact that there's more awareness and around having mental health issues and there's less stigma, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's clearly something going on and psychologists and educators do point to sort of overzealous parenting as one, you know, one sort of contributing factor. And if you think about it, it makes sense because, you know, when you are overprotective or don't give kids sort of age appropriate autonomy, I mean, the message that you're sending to them is that the world's a dangerous place Mm -hmm. and that they can't cope with situations on their own. Right. And you're also not giving them the chance to, Develop the skills that they're going to need. I mean, ideally, we all want our kids to be independent yes. and be able to live on their that own. Like be, when, they, nice. when they when they graduate from high school and go to college or go to the workforce, you know, we want them to be able to to uh, you know to have those skills that they're going to need to to sort of live independently. So, what are the
0: what are the tips you had said in your article? Um, you know, getting and getting people to do household. People getting your kids to do household chores is really helpful. Things like the laundry and the dishes. What what else should you be having your kids do? Well, that was actually autonomous? really
1: eye opening for me because when I when I initially approached the story, I was thinking, okay, you know, I I know that I want to give my daughter more independence, and but I but I feel like yeah, I feel like for our, our parents' generation, it was just sort of. I mean, that's what everyone did. Right. So it was it was it was just. You know, because they kind of just kind of went with their, their, their gut or they, you know, they just went with whatever the prevailing, you know, the cultural tide was. But things are so different now and people are so much more, I think, anxious about, you know, giving their kids more, whether it's because, you know, we all hear about the, the child abduction that may have happened, you know, across the country. And, you know, statistically, kids are much safer than they, than they were when, when, you know, people, Gen Xers were kids. But even so, I think we hear more about the, the scary things that can happen. Um, so it's, I I wanted to find, I wanted to find out, okay, what does the research say? Like, you know, when, if I do want to give my daughter independence and autonomy, you know, what age is the right age to let her walk to school by herself or stay home alone or whatever. And, you know, I didn't really find a lot of sort of hard, fast rules, but, but what I, what was really interesting to me is talking to psychologists, they were, they were actually saying, you know, you really need to think about independence and autonomy, Um, not so much in the context of these sort of big, kind of riskier sort of independence moves, but more as a continuum, starting when they're really small. And, you know, things that we would think of as sort of chores or duties, like, you know, yeah, having your two-year-old put their dirty clothes in the hamper or pick up their to- pick up their toys, or having your six-year-old make a sandwich—not mm-hmm. with a sharp knife, with a dull knife—they're mm-hmm. not ready for you know—or your eight-year-old make some scrambled eggs on a stove. Like those may sound just like chores, but in in fact, those those are moves toward towards independence because. um you know, they are skills that they're going to need to have, you know, in, in, skills that they're going to need to have to sort of live self-sufficiently. And they give them a feeling of self-efficacy, that they can do it. And that is a really important um, skill to have. And also another another tip that was really interesting was actually to involve the kids in decision-making around around um, their moves toward independence and hmm. autonomy. So if you are talking about, like, you know, do you think you know just asking your your child, do you think you're ready to stay home alone? And and what are the pros and cons of that? And actually having that discussion with them, you know, you're you're helping to to really encourage their decision-making skills. And that is something and, and to help them feel sort of confident that they can kind of work through these kind of things. And that actually is a really important skill to have, and to help them sort of try and you're you're also conveying that you trust them to to help. Problem solve, so they're, they're learning problem solving skills. They're learning to trust their own sort of their own thinking. And so, if you think about that, that's going to be really important when they start facing, especially when during the teen years, when they're facing bigger decisions about you know sex and alcohol and scary things <laughs> like that. So you know, it's it's those are things that you can help really help um, sort of develop that that good decision making from. From these smaller sort of independence moves
0: i love these tips especially because you can do them at home it's not like i have to go let my kids start wandering around the street right exactly you know, these are like, like just everyday things i mean many of which the kids do but just to make it to be so mindful of it and make sure that they they know why they're doing it too that it's beneficial for them
1: like, right right like you're going to need to know yep. how to do this you know because at one point some point you're going to live on your own and you know, I'm not going to be here to do your laundry. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, or th- things like that.
0: I just visited a girlfriend of mine recently who lives outside of Boston. She has four kids, and she was showing us the laundry room, and she was like, oh, yeah, the kids do all their own laundry. She was some little kid. I was like, really? She's like, oh, yeah. Um, she's like, I mean, maybe the big load, if there's something I have to do, I'll do it. But when the kids are like, my, my socks are dirty or I need this clean for soccer, she's like, that, that's where it is.
1: That's great. See, I'm I I definitely I do not do that. I have not done that (laughs) yet. And actually, there's things you know. I've been still been I until recently was making my daughter her breakfast. I'm like because I have one child too. So it's one of those. So it's not. I think the more kids you have, probably the more likely you are to have. You know, you just don't have as much time. But I think. I don't know, I was like a shorter Those- cook
0: in the fridge. <laughs> I'm, like okay, so- <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like
1: three lunch boxes open for camp and making eggs. Right. And I was like, I can't keep this that much longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and then that was, an, and, and, but also, another, talking to uh, another psychologist was really eye opening too. Things that I hadn't really thought of as independence moves but of course they are and I wouldn't have thought of to because basically she was saying you, you can't have to keep remembering that you know the goal is to have sort of a self-sufficient person by the time they leave your roof and you know things like advocating for themselves with teachers mm. you know that's a that's a really important skill you know so so they'll in college they'll be able to de- develop um relationships with mentors and they'll be able to negotiate you know, if they, if they bomb a test that they know yeah. that they, that they can go into a professor and, you know, figure out what they need to do to get better, you know, to get a yeah. better grade on the next one um, so that, you know, you're not, you know, they're not failing out before they address it or going to the doctor by themselves yeah. and, and, you know, being able to talk about their own symptoms. I mean, I, one psychologist was telling me she's had kids, you know, end up with pneumonia because they didn't really, they'd never had the experience of, of, of. They were just, I guess, too sort of overwhelmed to go and make their own doctor's appointment. Wow. I can't imagine my kids picking up the phone and
0: making all their own doctor's appointments, at this age at least. But it's nice to know that'll come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take a little bit off, off my plate, I guess. Um, uh, let's switch gears a little bit to the book, which sure. is so good. Thank you. Um, so you talk in your book about how you've approached the treatment to your own anxiety. Um, and but I loved your description of when you had acupuncture and you were like, you, and all the alternative treatments, like I personally have never felt as anxious as being left alone in a dark room with needles all over me. And your description was just hilarious. I love that. There's um, actually something called relaxation induced anxiety.
1: So totally. They're... I had the
0: hardest time relaxing. It's. <laughs> <laughs> yoga, like
1: all those things you're supposed to do. Oh, I've had panic attacks in the middle of massages. Okay. Oh, so when, I feel when bad. my anxiety is up to is like really, really amped up, yeah. the actual the act of trying to relax and actually focusing on my body yep. can actually cause a resurgence in symptoms. Interesting. Um, but I mean that you know, I do find all those things there is actually evidence that acupuncture can be very helpful I'm sure. and it can be for some yeah. people. Yeah. Yoga is actually one of the ways that I really that I think helps keep my anxiety in check when it's at sort of its lower, kind of typical, kind of low hum. Okay. But when it's super amped up, there's other things I've got to do. Interesting.
0: Oh, so what are so what are some of the things that you do
1: when you're really amped up? I mean, when my anxiety is disabling, mm-hmm. when it's really preventing me from. And can you can you just describe to listeners? You did such a good job in your book of describing some of the
0: symptoms and um, just sort of what a bad anxiety day might look like for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me in, in the past too. For me, you know, I've had anxiety for me has taken many, many forms. But when it was really at its worst, I mean, I was having panic attacks, which are these incredibly intense episodes of really serious sort of physical symptoms. Like I actually felt like I was dying. You know, my heart was racing short of breath, strange visual changes and this feeling of overwhelming doom that I was about to die or go crazy. You know, and a panic attack is supposed to sort of peak and abate within about 10 minutes. But, you know, I had this college sort of breakdown where um, it felt like about a month-long panic attack. I mean, yes, my fear had sort of peaks and valleys, but it basically left me totally incapacitated, um, sort of a lump on my parents' sofa. I had to drop my classes. I couldn't take my finals. I had to Sort of withdraw from school for a little bit. Um, it was, it was, and it was, it was kind of a whole body illness. And unfortunately, I wasn't accurately diagnosed for about a year. I end up having some sort of medical odyssey because um, I, I'd like to think that wouldn't happen now that that doctors are a little bit more aware of of the symptoms of anxiety. But from the research that I've seen, that you know, still people with anxiety, you know, often take it's ten years or more before they. From the, their onset of symptoms to when they actually get professional help, so Crazy. there's still a lot of a long way to way to go. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, do you have any advice for listeners out there who struggle with anxiety themselves? Um, you had this beautiful essay that you wrote in the Oprah magazine when you kept confusing the name you were playing uh, with your daughter, like pretend sisters, and you couldn't remember the name of the pretend character you were supposed mm-hmm. to be because your mind was on a hundred other things, which. I know I can relate to. I'm sure other people too. Um, so, how can you how can you just stay more in the moment without having to run to a yoga class? You know, how do you right. when you're in it? How do you try to keep the anxiety at bay enough to be focused?
1: Because well, by the end of the article, you kind of had a moment where you figured out what to do. Well, if anxiety you know anxiety rises to a disorder when it's really impairing your life, when it's um, preventing you from working being present in your relationships when it's when it's really um that that's when you need to go get help and when and and the two most evidence-based treatments for anxiety disorders are cognitive behavioral therapy which is a kind of talk therapy um where you learn to sort of um you know these catastrophic thoughts that that we have when we're anxious um, you learn to to sort of modify them and also the main component for um of the treatment is actually exposure where you kind of repeatedly expose yourself to the very things that you're afraid of. And it's fairly effective. Also antidepressant medications like Lexapro and Zoloft and things like that um, have also been shown to be helpful, though the evidence for them is a little bit um not as strong as as people would like to me i also talk a lot about in the book about some of the really exciting new science that's sort of unraveling some of the mysteries of the anxious brain and some of the new treatments on the horizon um, that actually aim to sort of um to uh, to directly address some of the underlying cognitions that that underlie anxiety but also some of the um What's kind of wrong what's what's kind of wonky in the brain mm-hmm. too so so there's a lot of exciting stuff around that but then just when anxiety if it doesn't rise to a disorder if it's sort of you know or you're trying to prevent a relapse if you do struggle with an anxiety disorder you know, a lot of the really boring adult things that we're all supposed to do, that we all know we're supposed to do, like get enough sleep, mm-hmm. exercise. I mean, those are really critical for people with anxiety. There's a whole robust body of research that shows that insufficient sleep, in particular, is really is a really great way to, you know, put your anxiety on overdrive. Um, and also, you know, that that exercise, particularly things like yoga. Anything that can of ground you, ground yourself in the present moment. I mean, if you think about it, you know, so mindfulness meditation. There's a lot of a lot of great research around that. Um, but really, what I found, anything that can ground myself in the present moment is really helpful because if you think about it, anxiety is sort of the antithesis of, t- antithesis of that. It's all about the future. Yes. It's all yeah. about the, the catastrophe around the corner. So if you can stay in the moment,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: that's really sort of the antidote to anxiety. And it can be different for you know, if, if you don't, if you're not into meditation, I'm actually not that great at it. I do try, but, um, but, oh, I talked to one, you know, several people listening to music or taking a walk or, um, you know, I actually find baking uh, to be, is one of my favorite sort of soothing. I love activities. I'm I do totally too. with you. That's one of my favorites. You know, there's something about sort of following a recipe and sort of the tactile nature of it. And then, um, I just kind of get lost in that process and I it really sort of settles my mind um you know there's research showing that actually you know taking a walk in nature can be really really helpful um so and probably writing uh no no not for me no I find writing can be very anxiety inducing really yes especially when I'm on deadline okay you know I'm always always yeah because it's this sort of battle between you know the deadline and this sort of anxiety about putting putting um sort of you know, not being able to express myself. You know, always that feeling of an inadequacy that I think a lot of us writers have is, you know, what we what we hope to create maybe doesn't doesn't always jive with what we actually end up creating. So you don't so, use writing for yourself, like as a tool to sort through feelings or anything. It's is it? No, no, no. It's always. I mean, I love it. Um, and and I find in a lot of ways anxiety has fueled my work. This mm-hmm. like this worry about. Um, well first of all you know when i was a news reporter you know getting beaten on a story you know that right, you but also it. just the fear of messing up i mean this you know this fear that i would make a mistake it, it was very motivating to um, to double check triple check my work do one more interview i mean in, in ways sort of paranoia can be a very hmm. useful um, quality in a in a journalist yeah. <laughs> i find
0: See, I think at least with writing, not that I do what you do, but um, you're so in control of it, right? Like you're in control of what you produce and every word. And if you want to fix it later you go back, you fix it. I mean, not after you send it to the Wall Street Journal, but <laughs> but before that stage, you know, it's different than if you're I would imagine like I was just chatting with two girlfriends who are, you know, have been on air, right? Like right, recorded. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you know, you can't take anything back, right? That's like live T V, you know. Right. I mean not that the anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and what you said, by the way, about sleep being a leading, like, not getting enough sleep, really amping up anxiety, that's so not fair, especially for parents of young kids who, like, the, you know, I don't know about you, I have kids in my room, basically. I mean, it's getting yes. it's getting better, yes. but there's somebody coming in, usually most nights, at least once. And for, especially with new kids, like, when you had a new baby, like, sleep
1: is impossible. It's just not even in the cards. Oh, new parenthood, I think, is just sort of a, I mean, it's it's not only is the sleep deprivation a reality, but in some ways, you know, society is telling you to be anxious. I mean, you know, we're awash in parenting advice and, and the parenting advice can change all the time. And I think it's just, in some ways I, I you know, when I talk about having my daughter and when she was a new baby, um, you know, that I finally felt like my like my circumstances, you know, kind of caught up with my brain you know I always had this anxious brain and now finally it was actually sort of socially acceptable <laughs> if not socially mandated that I'd be anxious all the time somebody who was it I- I can't remember. Somebody was
0: on the show recently and saying um, they never were anxious until they had a child. And then for the first time, they're like, oh, my gosh, you can't can't cross the street. And, you know, that, that that feeling of anxiety was so brand new that it was, like, shocking both to her and her husband that all of a sudden right. she was that way. Right.
1: Um, yeah, and but, I think um, we spent so many years, you know, protecting, protecting, protecting. And that's why I think, you know, this idea of going back to autonomy and independence, it can yes. be very difficult to then be like, oh, well, Actually, the right thing to do for my child now is to actually sort of, you know, trying to get them um, yeah. to be to be more independent, and yes. and that's sort of sort of sort of the parenting kind of mission. Maybe so, you, kids, kids still, if you're listening,
0: right? <laughs> I'm not doing anything for you anymore. That's right? it. <laughs> yeah. Pack my bags for me. Um,
1: and what was the process of writing of writing the book like for you? Um, it was really intense, uh, and it was also. As I, you know as being a, a news reporter for so many years you know I'd, I really hadn't ri- I'd written maybe a couple of first person pieces so writing something so personal mm-hmm. was a real shift for me and something that um, was was tough I mean I had to and I basically how I kind of went about it is I told myself that no one else was going to read it mm-hmm. I basically decided that I, I I tried to turn off that. Self editor, mm-hmm. um, and also not, that my family wasn't going to read it either because I figured I also, which of course you know, ultimately yes, obviously right. people read it, but but in order to to write as authentically and honestly as I wanted to, I had to sort of try to trick myself into thinking that I was only writing it for myself. That's a good trick. And then I could, because I, I could then I could tell myself, well, I could always you know, tone it down or ratchet it back or, or delete some things. Um, if I, if I felt like I needed to, and actually I didn't end up having to do that much because I, especially with something like a memoir, I think you really have to put yourself out there in order for it to resonate with, with anyone else. And I wanted to, you know, for this book in particular, I wanted to provide, you know, insight and empathy to all the other anxious people out there too. And, And I'm hoping that some people might see, similarities or, or and differences, but, but that my story would, would um, resonate with, with people.
0: Oh, it certainly resonated with me. And I also loved you. You included so much research, but you weaved it throughout the text in such a nice way. Wove it, weaved it through it, that you almost didn't notice that you were, like, reading a textbook about anxiety while you're reading somebody's story. You know Thank you. I,
1: mean? I, hope it, I certainly hope it didn't read,
0: like, like no, a textbook. No, I yeah, meant, yeah. meant that you conveyed as much information as you might have found in a textbook. However, right, it, yeah. it was a story, and you, like, wanted to keep reading because I wanted to see what happened to you next, and what about the next boyfriend, and then what <laughs> it happened to her job? And Anyway, I was like, it's so funny how we just... Like, I'm in bed reading about you and your entire life and everything, and then we meet in person. And I'm like, well, I already know, like, all that stuff. You.
1: I know. I always, when I, when, after, especially after, you know, people who have known me for a long time but maybe don't know about this kind of part of my life so much, I'm like, yeah, now you know more about me than you ever wanted to know. <laughs> but. No, but that's, like, that's what connection's all about, right? Yeah. You, yeah. And that's actually been one of the most exciting things about going around speaking about the book and, you know, traveling all over is um, you know, having people come up and tell me they're, some of their own stories, too. So I feel like we've got this sort of, uh, you know, kind of group of anxiety warriors all out there oh, that's um, nice. kind of supporting each other. going to start a new hashtag. Yeah. Anxiety Warrior. <laughs> yeah.
0: Hashtag anxiety warrior. Um, and what's what's coming up next for you? What are you going to do next? Do you have another book, more Wall Street Journal. Uh,
1: I'm, I'm working on a bunch more pieces. So it's been fun to actually get back sort of into. Um, I mean, I'm a feature writer, so I don't right. write daily journalism, but. Um, you know, having, having, being, being out there with pieces more frequently. Um, also and we're taking a little bit of a sojourn. My husband's a professor, so we're going to be in hmm. Ireland this summer. Um, so that'll so be, cool. that'll be fun. And so I'll be doing writing from there while he's doing research. And, um, I do have another, another book idea that I'm sort of noodling around on.
0: So for people who love anxious people, like Someone like my husband, let's say, who has to deal with me. Uh, what advice do you have for them? Like, how can they help people who they love who
1: have anxiety? That's a great question. And it's actually one that I get almost every time I speak about, uh, about the book. And, you know, it, it actually depends. I guess the, the, the biggest thing you can do, first of all, the most important thing is to really believe and convey the belief that and that you understand that anxiety is not a weakness it's not a moral failing, I think unfortunately, even with how far we've come in eroding stigma that that sort of view is still out there, and that you know if only you were worked a little harder or took a yoga class or. Yep. Took some deep breaths that you would just wouldn't, relax. Just relax that you wouldn't deal with it. So I think you know conveying this sort of love and acceptance is sort of the most um, the biggest gift you can give someone with anxiety. And then beyond that, I mean, everyone's different in terms of how they want someone to support them in the moment when they're really feeling like if they're having a panic attack or if they're just you know feeling really really anxious. Um, you know, for me, when I'm having a panic panic attack, I want my husband to hold my hand, but I don't want him to talk to me. So I think the most important thing is to ask ask the person, um, that you love, you know, what can I do for you in that moment that will be helpful? You know, is it rub your back? Is it, you know, go to put on some music, you know, what, what does, does that person need in that moment? Okay. That helps. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Well, thank you so much. Thanks Thanks for sharing your story with the world and (laughs) other warriors. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This episode was sponsored by Bobo Botanicals.